basically what I realized is I don't have a uterus. I don't have an ability to carry a child. Does that take away any of my other qualities? Any of my other, does that take away my ability to nurture? Does it take away my ability to influence? Does it take away my ability to teach? Does it take away my ability to, my intuition? I've always had a very strong sense of intuition. It doesn't change any of that. Hi, my name is Carolyn and welcome to the Cycle Way Podcast. Here we talk about all things women's health and how it ties back to our cycles and periods. Join in as I share my own journey in healing from excruciating periods and chronic fatigue, interview various experts in women's health, and talk with everyday women who share their inspiring health stories. My vision is to make cycles, hormones, and periods easy to understand so that the everyday woman can sync with her cycle in her day-to-day life with ease and confidence. You don't have to be an expert to understand your own body. And with that, let's jump into the episode. I'm so excited that you are here with us today. Um, so for those of you listening, Jackie's a really dear friend of mine. Uh, we met back in 2019 when we were both yes. um, at the MTC, the Missionary Training Center, preparing for our missions for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were only there for like three weeks, I think. <laughs> it's not very Yeah, long. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but since then, we've like kept in touch on like Facebook a little bit and through social media and um, I've seen you really bravely share about like your health struggles and, and your triumphs through social media the last few years. Um, and your experience is actually one of the ones that really inspired me to have people on to share their stories, especially when it comes to women's health. And um, just because I feel like your story is so real and can help people navigate their struggles, hopefully. And just, you know, the emotional aspect, the physical struggle is just mm-hmm. all of it. So well, that means a lot. So thank yeah. you. Yeah. And that was great too. Cause before I could even, um, before I even asked you to be on, you reached out to me and offered yes. <laughs> to share your experience yes. with adenomyosis. Um, and I honestly felt like that was God just like, yes, this needs to happen. So <laughs> I, yeah, as soon as I knew you were recording a podcast, I was like, I've got to be on that podcast. <laughs> this is like, cause I feel like it's hard to know when and where to share it besides just on social media randomly so Mm -hmm. I felt like this was just an amazing platform to be able to yeah Yeah. well I'm really glad you're here we can just really get into it and it's hard to on social media because you can like have to kind of cut out details and all of that I'm sure we won't get into everything here but I'm sure we can get a lot more than on like a Facebook post so (laughs) definitely for sure because yeah. because I assume the people listening to it are like they they know they're going to get some details about women's health my general Facebook audience I try to be nice but yeah. <laughs> and I'm like how much is too much to share just like with my personal friends on Facebook and Instagram <laughs> exactly, exactly yeah so before we get into all of like those details about your story and everything um share a little bit about yourself so we can get to know you a little better yeah for sure so Usually when I introduce myself, I start off with that I'm one of um, 11 kids. So I'm the fifth of 11, which that plays into my story as well later. But um, yeah, I'm the fifth of the 11. We grew up in Washington State, Northwest Washington. Um, I have my my parents. My dad always worked. My mom was always a stay-at-home mom. Um, I was homeschooled most of my school years. I went to public school briefly in middle school. Um, but that allowed me to graduate early from high school and with my associate's degree, which was the right thing for me, I think, because I don't know how long, I think I would have dropped out of college if I had <laughs> too many more years of college as an adult. Um, uh, but I did go to college at, at BYU in, in Provo, Utah. Um, I went on my mission. I took a break and that's how we met as I, I went on my mission and, um, 
that we'll get into that that ended earlier than I expected and I came back and it was COVID the next month um so I just went back to school online and finished up in whatever I could finish the fastest with that I was still interested in that was family studies um and then I met my husband just shortly thereafter and throughout all of this my health struggles are going on (laughs) so that's been a big part of my identity the last few years but yeah I mean a lot of the normal stuff I, I guess as far as personal characteristics I've always wanted to work with kids and especially I mean all children are vulnerable but especially vulnerable populations mm-hmm. of children um, and so right now I actually work for Girl Scouts um, and I work with their community development program so those are girls that are in Title I schools um, at risk youth I mean just the, the at need the people who are in need, um, girls that are in need that wouldn't afford, usually have to pay for a traditional troop. These ones are free. They're grant funded. So I run those and then we create curriculum that's just more relevant to their life circumstances. You know, they, they can't necessarily, their parents are working most of the time. It's a two parent working household. And so they might not be going and doing all the things traditional Girl Scout troops are. Um, so that's just been really rewarding and it's kind of fulfilled some of those. I've, I've always wanted to do stuff to help, to help kids. That's just, that's my thing. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. And it's cool to see like how a lot of that overlaps, like, especially with the introductions, like it's so easy to break it down to like almost like boxes of ourselves. But like, yes, like you said, it's so interwoven, especially with, like your health throughout all of that. So, mm-hmm. so with your, your health journey, where did that really start for you? Yeah, I always like for not always for a long time, I felt like it started. So I, to explain, I came home early from my mission at eight months to the day, actually, because I kept having abdominal pain, lower right quadrant is what they called it, abdominal pain. And I came home, things were just, it was uncontrollable pain. Um, So I always have thought of my story starting there. Looking back now with everything I know now, I recognize that it started from the moment I got my period. I mean, that was just, I, my mom, she's amazing now with my younger sisters, but she grew up in a generation where they did not speak freely about periods and women's health and all of that. So I got very little education. All I knew from the world was that periods sucked. They sucked and they were painful. And I was like, well, mine sucks and it's painful. So I guess this is normal, you know, but I, I didn't recognize how abnormal, well, it may be common, how abnormal my symptoms really were. Um, And so I recognize now, I even remember one time where I know I had an ovarian cyst as a teenager because it, I remember that experience so vividly, but I, I didn't have any context for it. So like, I know I was experiencing things far before things got really bad, um, but hindsight's 2020. So I just, I just didn't realize that at the time. Yeah. It's so interesting. I think a lot of us can relate to that with like our, our health struggles. I think, especially for women that get really deep into like hormonal health and like women's health in this area it's often because we had really really bad issues that we're like oh this is normal because it's supposed to be awful and then we're like oh but not well one it's like not supposed to be this awful but then like we also realize that any pain and like anything like that at all it's not it's just been normalized (laughs) Mm -hmm. and yeah so it's unfortunate that like it was the same thing for me like I was like oh this is just awful and I guess I just have a little bit worse than others and I was like oh this is yeah there's a lot more going on and I really need to pay attention to this. Yes, <laughs> But sometimes exactly. you don't think to pay that much attention because it's quote unquote normal. Mm-hmm. 
until like, like you until you're writhing in pain and like can't function at all yes yes well and that's the thing is I would talk to friends like I didn't really feel like I had a lot of people to talk to but I talked to friends and they'd be like oh yeah I'm in so much pain too but really first of all you're different people but is it you know your friend might just have cramps but like me, I'm in bed curled in the fetal position with a migraine. I can't do anything, you know, and I can't, just don't stop bleeding. I'm just constant, you know, all these things that you don't get into. You're just like, okay, yeah. yours hurt too. This is normal. And so it's yeah. the finer details are so important to get into for your personal cycle and your personal health. Cause it's, it's going to manifest differently than your friend or whoever. Yeah, totally, totally agree. So with I think I'm pronouncing it right, like adenomyosis, right? That So I've heard it pronounced two ways, either that okay. or adenomyosis. I don't know which one it is. So okay. I go, kind of go back and forth. Okay, sounds good. I just want to make sure I got it right. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but could no. you explain like what that is? Because that's what your official diagnosis was, right? And that's not, yes. that's not a term I had heard up until you shared about it. Because we hear mm-hmm. about endometriosis or like PCOS or like fibroids, yes. we don't hear about this. So yes, um, so I hadn't heard about it either. Um, when I came home from my mission, and they just kept telling me, "You have a cyst, you have a cyst," and so I thought, okay, it was a pretty large cyst, um, and so I kind of knew at that point they say, "Well, you probably have PCOS." Nobody really diagnosed me with that, but they just in the ER, which I visited several times before I came home, they said that's probably what you have. You know, follow up with your doctor. So I go in and I get an ultrasound and they say, uh, you don't have a cyst. So I'm like, then why am I still in this extreme pain? You know, I'm like, if I don't have a cyst anymore, so it has to be something else than just PCOS. Now I do have PCOS and I've kept my ovaries and I've continued to have symptoms um, of that, but I knew it wasn't just that, that there was something else going on. So as you posted on your story the other day, the number of gynecologists that have helped me or had helped me at that point was zero. And I went and saw one that was supposed to be specialized in our age group and had all these great reviews and all these things. And I went into her and she goes, yeah, you know, it sounds like you have endometriosis. And she told me a little bit about that. Um, she didn't do any imaging. She didn't order any labs. She didn't do anything like that. Um, she said, yeah, it sounds like you have it. Here's how we treat it. She prescribed me birth control. I mean, a, everyone, Classic. Can, you know, <laughs> yes, it's a very, you know, that's what she gave me. And I went home and being who I am, I researched it like crazy, which I had heard of endometriosis, but you never think it's you, right? Like, oh right. yeah, you know, I don't have it that bad. That's other people. And then I started reading about it and I was like, oh yeah, this, this fits me, you know, this makes sense. And I'm so grateful. My friend, who's actually a guy, um, his sister dealt so with very severe endometriosis. And he said, would you like to, to talk to her? You know, she could give you some, some guidance and all that. So I talked to her and she gave me so much information, you know, like even if they did imaging, it can be invisible on imaging and where it grows and it can grow up into your diaphragm and all these different things. She told me all kinds of things where I'm like, okay, I have a direction these make sense with my symptoms. Like it's endometriosis. I was convinced, but I couldn't get. So first of all, insurance, they um, required me to be on birth control, a couple different birth controls for a certain amount of time before they would refer me for surgery. Wow. And so 
I, which was ridiculous. So, um, I didn't have like a ton of funds at the time. And so I had to just go with what my insurance said. I couldn't really self-refer myself, you know, cause I just didn't have the funds to do that. Um, which I think a lot of people find themselves in that situation. Healthcare can be incredibly expensive. So, um, I, I decided, okay, I have to be on this birth control for a certain amount of time. My symptoms kept up full force. In fact, they were worse because I was on this pill now and they a hundred percent made my symptoms worse. Um, and it was, it was horrible. I was, I was bleeding constantly. It was like a months long periods that never stopped. So I knew it was too much of whichever one they had me on too much estrogen or, or I, I know, you know, the hormones I need to get better <laughs> at what causes what. Um, so that was awful. And and my pain just kept kept going. So I I knew I needed to do something because where I was ending up was I was in bed for the majority of the day. I couldn't work. I was relying on my parents. I had maybe about an hour a day where I could get up and like really do something. I was living again with my parents. So I have six younger siblings. So I'd use that hour to try to spend time with them because I just felt like all I was doing was hiding in my room. That was all I had the energy for. And, um, it got really bad again where it was just, and I'm like, I'm, maybe I have another cyst. Maybe my gallbladder needs to be removed. I had no idea. I was like, this is, you know, when it's for a woman, when it's lower right quadrant pain, there's like a bajillion things that it can be. It can be your gallbladder. It can be your, um, appendix. It can be, it can be abdominal pain or, um, pain with your uterus or your ovaries. It can be all kinds of things. So I just didn't know. And I thought, well, this is excruciating. I should be better safe than sorry and just go into the ER. And this was probably at this point, like my sixth ER visit, but my first time at this ER. Um, and I went in and I was just in so much pain. I was not, um, it was COVID. So my parents couldn't come in with me. I was not, um, articulating myself well. And I suddenly realized that the doctor was talking to me uh, not taking me seriously. And I realized he thought I was drug seeking. He thought I was coming in saying, I'm in so much pain. I'm in so I need, I need a prescription. I need a prescription, which I wasn't saying I needed a prescription. I was just talking about, I was really talking about, I am in so much pain. I need you guys to do something that he assumed what I wanted him to do is write a script for narcotics, which was not what I wanted. <laughs> Once I realized that I had a meltdown in the hospital, which at the time felt embarrassing, but looking back was exactly what needed to happen to get him to take me seriously. And this was a male doctor up until that point, I'd had poor experiences with both male and female doctors. So I was not expecting much out of him because the male doctors were typically worse, but I broke down and I said, look, I do not want narcotics. They don't help. I've been prescribe them every time I left the ER. They give me two weeks of narcotics. They do not touch anything. I, I don't want them. I said, what I want is to figure out what the heck is going on and how can I stop this excruciating pain? And I was just yelling and angry. And um, he goes, okay. And he goes, I believe you. That was the first thing he said, which was like, that calmed me down. <laughs> yeah, wow. Just to have someone say that, like after yeah. all of that struggle, it's such a simple thing but especially from like a medical professional when you are just done <laughs> like you were yes. so past done and so past like desperate at that point like mm -hmm. just to have someone say I believe you like what a 
what a moment. It was huge because I like every doctor up until then, it's kind of like that meme you see going around where the doctor's like, have you considered you're faking it? And like, I felt like that was the attitude of the doctors like, oh, and they always assumed it was because I have depression and anxiety. And I think this is a struggle for a lot of people who have mental health issues is, and this is totally true, your mental health can totally manifest in physical ways. But because I had been diagnosed with both of those things, plus ADD, um, it was often assumed that my physical pain was just a manifestation of those things. And I just needed to manage my mental health better. And then my physical health would come along. But that never, it, it never took away the physical pain, even though those do have a relationship that most doctors kind of thought I was maybe being dramatic or wasn't like I needed a new uh, antidepressant or something. That was normally the direction they went, which was really uh, hard because I'm like, no, this is, this is a very real physical pain. But that being said, he told me he believed me and he said, I will personally, he was like one of the biggest doctors at this hospital, I guess, like he'd been there for years. He was an older man. He said, I will personally write you a referral to get an exploratory surgery. And I had not been able to get anyone to give me a referral for an exploratory surgery. So he referred me. And um, at the time, again, I thought it was endometriosis. And so he gave me a referral to basically go wherever because I told him, I say, I need to do research uh, because endometriosis, if you think of it like a weed, it grows on and around your organs and you have to get out the root. You can't just, a lot of doctors go in and burn off endometriosis and that allows that root to stay there. And like 80% of the time, I can't remember the statistic, it'll grow back. A woman will have that case again, even though she just had this crazy surgery that left a ton of scar tissue. You need to find a, a surgeon that will do excision surgery, which is where they actually go in and take out the root of it. And they're specially trained in that. So Most with- surgeons. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, really quick. Like with um, endometriosis, and then like I guess like adenomyosis. That's the mm-hmm. phrasing I'm gonna pick the pronunciation. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's when, well, at least with endometriosis, that's when the endometrium, which is like the uterine lining that we that we build up every month, that's when it it grows not on the inside of the uterus as a lining, but it starts growing on the outside. And like you said, it can be found in like lungs. It can be found on like mm-hmm. intestines, like all over. all over the body. It just goes all over yeah. the place. <laughs> And then um, with adenomyosis, that's when it grows within the uterine, like the uterus, right? So Mm -hmm. it's kind of similar to where it's growing places it shouldn't, but it's not quite the same way, right? Exactly, exactly. And that's a good clarification because endometriosis, again, it can be removed. It can adhere organs together, but it can be removed without having to remove the reproductive organs in ideal situations. Sometimes if it's bad enough, it can adhere those, your fallopian tubes or different things together where the only way to get it out is to remove things in really severe cases. Adenomyosis can only be removed from the body by removing the uterus and it can grow into your cervix. It can come from your uterus into your cervix. Mine, that only happens for 2% of people. That was my case. Um, Yes. Thank goodness. Right. And so (laughs) And, but, um, so mine had grown, mine was what they call stage four and it had grown into my, my cervix, which was causing, I mean, when I had my, um, first pap smear, I passed out 
And because it went, as soon as she touched my cervix, I had such excruciating pain that I blacked out. So I knew something was wrong, but for some reason, me fainting on the table was not enough for her to do <laughs> any further exploration about what might be going on. Um, but that's fine. Uh, I, I can't really, on one hand, yes, I can fault doctors. On the other hand, my surgeon, who was amazing, the one who did both my exploratory surgery and my um, hysterectomy, um, she told me that unless they specifically choose to or they choose to specialize in these types of surgeries, surgeons get about uh, the equivalent of a three-hour lecture about endometriosis or about um, any any of those related things. Adenomyosis, not even talked about because it's not something we know a lot about or it's not something that's researched very well. And endometriosis is only in the last couple of years really starting to get the, I guess, reputation it deserves within the medical community. Um, and so, and I don't, I don't want to come off at all like I think my situation is harder than someone with endometriosis. It, it, it they're both ho horrible, <laughs> but mine just happened to not be endometriosis. Um, and so I told him I wanted to find a surgeon that specialized in excision surgery. Cause if I was going to have a surgery, you want to minimize, obviously you want to minimize your number of surgeries anyway. Um, but I wanted to minimize the amount of scar tissue I'd have because that's, endometriosis feeds on inflammation. So it will grow back if you leave too much scar tissue. Um, I found this surgeon. Uh, she specialized in it in excision surgery. And she amazingly, and this is only something God would do. She lived less than two hours from where my parents had moved just a few months before. Wow. So she was accessible to me and she accepted my insurance Whereas even some of the lesser, like not as highly qualified surgeons did not accept my insurance. My insurance was not great, but she accepted it. My insurance, which made, I mean, I think the surgery, if I had paid for it out of pocket would have been close to $40,000 and my surgery covered the majority of that. I, I mean, I still had several thousand I had to pay, but it wasn't, it wasn't nearly what it could have been. That's um, it was a huge blessing. And she when I told her, I'm like, look, this is, you know, everything. I, I think I have endometriosis. She goes, yeah, it sounds like you do. Basically, here's a paper sign. If I find anything, I can remove it. You know, if I don't, I don't. So that way you don't have to have two surgeries. You don't have to have an exploratory and then a another surgery for endometriosis. One and done. Two birds with one stone. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so I have this surgery. I had anticipated it for forever. I was so excited. It was August of 2020. So I think about eight months. Yeah. Or yeah. Eight months basically since I'd really started having issues, which doesn't sound like a long time, but it felt like ages when I was just in that kind of pain every day. Yeah. I had my surgery and I fully, fully believed that I had endometriosis and that this surgery was going to solve my problems. And I came out of surgery and I turned the nurse next to me. And I said, did they, did they find endometriosis? Did they find endometriosis. And for whatever reason, the nurse said, yes, she was misinformed. And so I was so happy. I was crying. I was like, yes, you know, this is an answer. <laughs> yeah. And then my surgeon comes in and says, I didn't find anything. And I go, what? <laughs> the, the nurse just told me, I was like, was I still on the drugs? Like what was going on? She goes, 
no, she just was assisting with another surgery. And anyway, she, she told me the other patients, um, unfortunately. And my surgeon basically looked at me and goes, look, the only thing that I found is that your uterus is boggy. It's like, it's boggier than it should be. That's the word she used. And she goes, that can be, she was very noncommittal about it. She's like, that can be a sign of adenomyosis, but she goes, I will warn you because she knew I was gung ho. I wanted to solve this problem. And she said, I'll warn you that the only true cure to adenomyosis is a hysterectomy. She goes, I just, I'm laying that out for you right now, but she goes, I'm not encouraging that. I'm just telling you, we may want to explore, you know, some, maybe some other things that it could be. She didn't want me to go down that road was really what it was because she knew how, um, how driven I was to find an answer Uh, because I was, I was 21 at the time I was, you know, I wasn't that old. It was a Christian hospital and she knew I had it shared with her. You know, I wanted to, I mean, I have 10 brothers and sisters. My mom had 11 children, children and family and pregnancy was, I, I was a huge part of my life. And, um, I fully expected and wanted to have a family. And so I wanted to solve this so that I could, you know, I was like, I've got to have risk of infertility. Not that I knew anything uh, of whether I did or not, because I was waiting for marriage to uh, have children. But I was just so I I kind of brushed it off at first. I'm like, okay, yeah, I don't I don't even want to think about that. I'll, I'll figure out what other things it might be. Um, and sorry, I know I'm rambling. If you have no, any questions, is... throw me at any point. Yeah, no, this is great. Um, Cause you were just sharing about, um, like getting that diagnosis of like, it could be this now, but it's not like, we don't know for sure, but we know it's not endometriosis, right? Yes. Like what did those next steps look like? Well, I went home extremely devastated because I, at this time, I wasn't really thinking about, okay, it could be this. Cause I just couldn't even consider the possibility of a hysterectomy at the time. Um, and so I felt really devastated and like almost ashamed because I'm like, how could I be in so much pain, but they go in and find nothing. So then I start second guessing myself. I'm like, yeah. am I making this up? Like, am like, am I overthinking this? Like, do I just need to you know, some people were telling me I just needed to exercise more. I just needed to move more. I just needed to do this and all those things. Yeah, they're important, but they weren't going to solve my problem. Um, yeah, so not I, even close. Not. <laughs> it's not like, oh, I have a little bit of cramps. It's like, no, like you literally are like out of capacity, like mm-hmm. for all months on end, multiple ER visits. Like, yes, like you're not crazy, but like especially when you do all these testing, especially such in depth, like surgical, exploratory, like surgery and everything, like you feel like you're crazy because like am like am I making this up like am I that is my mind that crazy to make me think I'm yes, insane? like you exactly. even as crazy as it sounds to say that like you seriously consider if you're making it up because like I've asked myself that too I'm like I've been so close to passing out so many times like I've wanted to hear yeah. my own issues in extreme pain like sweating and throwing up and like so out of it and it's like am I making this up <laughs> Like, yes exactly yeah and it's like, crazy that, that we cool. think that yeah. Like, yeah no it's absolutely true but it's you just start to reach for anything to try to make it make sense uh because it's not making sense and it's just so frustrating um not to mention that hormones can affect you know i already have uh genetically uh predisposition to depression anxiety and add 
Um, and so my hormones can only when out of whack elevate those things. So then I just, I went to some pretty dark places throughout this time of just feeling like, well, this isn't worth it. I don't want to do this. I, why am I even alive? Because it's so hard to function. I mean, it's just, what, what am I doing? You know? And so then I just, I kind of went in for a couple of days and my family tried so hard to cheer me up and remind me, you know, we'll find an answer. We're praying for you. We're doing all this. They were so sweet. I just was like, incapacitated for a few days mentally. I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. But as I laid there, every time I prayed, I just kept, um, she gave me a file folder of all this imaging from my surgery because they went in robotically. So they were able to take a lot of pictures and I kept my brain. It kept flashing the picture of my uterus where it's, it's foggy. It's too big. And, and it's, it's too heavy looking. And I kept going back to that. That picture kept flashing through my mind and eventually I was like, okay, Heavenly Father's trying to tell me something. God's trying to tell me something. What is it? So I go back and that's where her note is of this, you know, this is a possible indication of adenomyosis, adenomyosis, however you pronounce it. <laughs> I could probably look that up, but, um, you know, and so I kind of go, okay, this is the path I'm supposed to go down. I'm supposed to explore this next. And um, at first I kind of hoped that was just to rule it out. But the more that I learned from what little there is to find out about it, the more that I was like, oh, this makes even more sense than endometriosis did. I, the most helpful thing was I joined a Facebook support group. And this is where we talk about other people's stories kind of being more helpful than professional stories sometimes is I had all of these women in this worldwide support group sharing these experiences and sharing what they did and how they had to push their doctor and and what they, anyway, all of these things. And, um, and also how many of them were managing it without, you know, so they wouldn't have to get hysterectomy, which was, um, what I wanted. I wanted, I, I wanted to have kids. Um, it, I, I should say I wanted to carry children. I'm really trying to change my language around that because I plan to adopt one day and I will still have children. I'll still be <laughs> caring for children. They'll still, you know, be my children. I just won't be carrying them. Um, and so I eventually um, went back to my surgeon for a follow-up appointment. And I basically said, look, I can't get this out of my head. Um, how do I, like, how do I know that this is, you know, how do I figure out if this is what I have? And she goes, unfortunately, the only way you can diagnose adenomyosis is to have a hysterectomy and send your uterus out for pathology. She goes, that is the only way I can diagnose you. And so I'm at a crossroads here because I desperately want a diagnosis, but I can't get it unless I have this surgery that would change my entire life. So I just go, okay, well, I just have to be okay with this. Um, a few more months go by. I'm in continuing excruciating, horrible pain. She has me try the IUD um, as another way to try to manage it. Of course, spoiler alert, that didn't that didn't work. It didn't Especially help. Especially because that can be so like inflammatory, just having something in your uterus on top of yes. all the inflammation that your your uterus is already experiencing. Like, yes, exactly. how is that helpful? <laughs> no, and she she was just at that point. I think she was just. I mean, she. I, I'm very thankful for her because of what I'll explain next. But at that time, I think she was kind of just trying to give me something that would 
which a lot of doctors do, that'll finally just kind of work to where I won't, I won't come back. Um, but I kept coming back. And so after three months, and again, I had adenomyosis in my cervix. So the, the, um, IUD was horrible. It was horrible. I was in oh, even more pain. And finally, so I just went back. She wanted me to wait three months and I couldn't even make it too. And I said, you need it. I, I can't, you got to take this out. And so she took it out and I, um, went home and I just go, okay, I've just got to find a way to deal with this. I've got to, maybe I've got to try this nutrition plan. I should do this. I, I just got to find a way to deal with this. Um, I, and keep in mind at this point, I'm still completely unable to work almost unable to care for myself. I have to take my cell phone and leave it on when I'm in the shower in case I faint or fall or something. So my mom and dad or whoever can know, cause I, that happened a few times. And so I'm like completely unable to care for myself and I, and do it anything. And this was just, so I didn't have a lot of hope for the future, but I was like, I've got to figure this out. Well, I woke up in the middle of the night and, um, I just had this, uh, voice basically I believe it was God speak to me and say the way that you are the way that you feel you can't be anyone's mom you can't you can't you know you're not able you know even if I could carry a child if I didn't have infertility I couldn't care for a child the way that I feel right and so um like there's more caring, like caring for a child than there is just like physically having one, but also being present as a yes. mother. And yeah. Not to mention dating, meeting somebody. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't even leave my room. So because I wanted to wait till I was married to have children. And so I just really turned that thought over in my head. And um, as I kept thinking about it, all of a sudden I felt this indescribable peace wash over me. I remember I had my, I had my head in my hands like this. I was sitting up in bed and I was just like, I was just thinking I had this indescribable peace wash over me. And I just knew that for me, I I needed to get a hysterectomy. And that was not, I, I, I say I felt a lot of peace. I also felt a lot of anguish immediately after I realized that this was an answer from God and I couldn't deny it. And I was very upset. I mean, it came with a lot of peace. And then afterwards I was, uh, I was very unhappy <laughs> that that was the answer I had received. Um, and I have never, ever, ever, even when I've met other people with adenomyosis, encouraged them to do that. That actually be the last thing I would encourage somebody to do is to just jump to getting their uterus removed. Um, with adenomyosis, it makes a little more sense to speed up to that than with endometriosis or PCOS or other things, because with some of those other uh, issues, um, you can, even if you remove parts of your body, you can still deal, like endometriosis can grow back, even if you have a total hysterectomy, which my grandmother actually, she had endometriosis, they removed everything after she had had three kids. And she continued to deal with that pain for the rest of her life because that was not the source of her pain, right? The source of my pain was unfortunately my uterus. Um, and so at that point, um, I knew this was what I was supposed to do. So I made an appointment with my surgeon. And I will tell you, usually if a woman is under 30 years old, she has to go through a pretty rigorous psych evaluation process, um, all of these things, because the research shows that having that kind of surgery before 
the age of 30. I don't know why that's the benchmark, but it is, um, can lead to some really bad um, consequences later, poor consequences as far as mental health or just regretting that they did this. I mean, some young women do it as a form of birth control, which I'm like, how did you do it? Because I couldn't even convince a doctor when I was bleeding every day to, to do anything for me, but some people are able not to adding up. <laughs> no, it does not. <laughs> what even, but anyway, so I go back into my surgeon and I said, look, and I told her straight up, I said, this was an answer from God. This is what I'm supposed to do. I'll do anything, but I know this is what I'm supposed to do. You know, if I need to go through all this, that's fine. She goes, look, she goes, you know, and again, she could tell, um, from the state of my uterus and from all my symptoms, she goes, I'm pretty sure you have stage four. Let me just take it to the hospital board. I'll tell them what you want to do and I'll let you know what they say. And, um, I don't, I do not know how this happened, but it came back. She came back and she said, we all voted yes. And I don't know how they all voted. Yes. They should have voted. No, like it, uh, because Technically, I should have had to go through all this stuff. I think it would have broke me to go through all of that. I think I would have ended up backing out or um, anyway, just because I was already facing myself with all the consequences of that decision every day that I was going to never carry a child that all these things at the same time, I felt a ton of relief and a ton of hope because I thought about being able to go for a run or get up in the morning and actually go make myself breakfast or do some of these things that I was completely unable to do. So it was a very, I mean, when I tell you, I felt every single emotion simultaneously, that was exactly what I felt. Um, I can imagine, I can't, I, I want to say I can imagine, but I can't <laughs> like being in that position and just it's like a tsunami of everything. Mm -hmm. It was well, and especially because, and as you know, in our church, um, and for me personally, I really value family. And so I worried about finding a life partner, an eternal partner that would be okay with that. You know, a lot of young men grow up with dreams of having children as well, biological children that look like them or these different things. And so I really was concerned about that. But I recognized that you know, my identity, I can't, in my life, I couldn't base that upon a potential future partner. I had to just, I had to do what was right for me um, and just trust God because I knew this answer was from God. And I got pushback from every single important person in my life. And I understand why I did. Um, but it was really hard because I just knew, I knew that this was my answer. And, um, to get pushback from everybody was really difficult, but I just, I just, at that point, I was so done with how I, I felt. And I just knew I was like, Nope, this is what I'm supposed to do. And I just kept telling everyone, God told me I'm supposed to do this. God told me I'm supposed to do this. And so eventually everybody, it, you know, kind of their concern turned to support. Um, and which I'm grateful my surgery was scheduled for the end of the year. So it'd basically been a whole year at this point, December, um, that year, right after my college graduation, my online college graduation. And so I was like, this is perfect. Like I've just graduated. I'm getting this surgery. Like I'll be able to move on with my life. Well, then my surgeon's son got COVID. So it was put off. And I was like, I can't, do, I can't do this for another month. But, um, uh, I just so happened that during that time while I'm laying in bed, I decided to get back on mutual the app it's for people in our church for those who don't know people in our church to meet 
each other it's a dating app <laughs> and while I was not planning to be on that because my last relationship from the app had ended very poorly um but during that time when I'm laying in bed the, it's actually the day after I was supposed to have my surgery I met my now husband on that app and I kind of wonder oh, if yeah. I hadn't been just like laying there desperate to have somebody to distract me from the pain if I ever would have gone back on there um and actually it was a big comfort too because before I'd even had the surgery we our first phone conversation was it was a video call and it was five hours long and we just really hit it off and somehow I told him I was gonna get a surgery I didn't tell him for what and he goes um, he goes, I feel like I should say something to you, but it's going to sound really weird. And I was like, well, what, what is it? And he goes, I just feel like I should tell you that like, I'm okay. Um, I'd alluded to some women's health issues, but he goes, I'm, I'm okay to adopt kids. He goes, if that's like a deal breaker for you. Or I got chills. <laughs> yeah. And whatever it was just, I was like, huh. And I didn't know at the time that I was going to marry him not at all I mean we really hit it off but it comforted me because I realized okay the right person for me is going to be okay that this is who I am I mean that just was a big concern of mine was my future family and what that was going to look like man God works um, in mysterious ways he's like I know you're supposed to have your surgery yesterday but how about you meet your like future husband and like have him be a huge influence on your story and like yes you like find that peace in like dating and finding a partner like let's just throw that in there yeah just just right let's just sprinkle a little bit and that's oh my goodness it was and again yeah I made it I probably made it sound it it sounds weird but for us in that conversation it made total sense just the way it came about and everything. And I was so grateful he'd said it. Um, and anyway, so we continued to talk throughout the month and he was super supportive and encouraging of, of my surgery and everything. And it was, it was just very, um, it was, it was what I needed to get through that, that next month. Um, so my surgery day came and I traveled, uh, you know, a couple hours to, to go get my surgery. And, um, I went in that morning and I kept expecting to like turn back. Like at some point it would just hit me and I would just go, I can't do this. I can't do this. But I felt so much peace. Um, so, so much peace. And I woke up from that surgery, which keep in mind, they cut through my abdominal wall in four places, you know, so this is a pretty heavy duty surgery. Um, I woke up from that surgery feeling more like myself than I had since things had really escalated at the end of my mission. So like I'm on all these heavy drugs. I was just cut into, I just had the surgery. I just had an organ removed and I felt better. Like I felt it was like an immediate relief. And it's because this thing that was, that was in my uterus plaguing my body was gone. And so it was an immediate answer Okay. Yes. You know, and so even before pathology came back to confirm, I knew I was like, I, that had to be it because there's no way I would be feeling such instant relief. And all the women in my support group had described the same thing, um, waking up from their surgery. So when I felt that I felt like, okay, okay, this was the right choice. I mean, I just really uh, feel very blessed because I was constantly reminded throughout my journey that I was doing the right things. I needed to keep pushing. I needed, I mean, I didn't really talk about this, but I switched doctors like 10 times. I had switched gynecologists several times. I mean, 
And I just kept making new appointments with new people till I found someone that was willing to do just enough that now I could make it to this specialist or I could go to this person or I could do whatever I needed to do. And that's so important for those that are out there that feel like, oh, well, my doctor's not listening. I just have to do what they say. Nope. Go find a new doctor. Go switch. It's annoying. We shouldn't have to do that, but you know, it's, it's what we need to do. Go find someone else, find someone that will listen to you because there's, there's someone out there that will listen to you. Um, it might take a while and it does oftentimes, but it's very important. Um, and so anyway, I had my surgery within, you're supposed to, it takes like up to nine weeks to really start feeling like you can really do a lot again after a hysterectomy. Um, and it might have something to do with my age, but within two weeks, I was up, I was vacuuming the floor, I was making food, I was hanging out with my siblings, I was playing games, I was like, immediately feeling better. Um, and then my pathology came back. And two, two and a half weeks later, so like, yeah, not too long. It took a while. I was scared. I was like, why is it taking this long? But um, she called and she said, yeah, you had adenomyosis, you had stage four, and you also are part of the 2% of people that have it grow in your cervix. And she goes, if you hadn't removed it now, um, it would have happened within the next, like you, it would have progressed to where um, you were bleeding so much. Basically, it would have been dangerous. Like I, I had such a severe case. So other people may have a more milder case and they can manage that. Not that it isn't still awful. I'm not trying to say like yeah. mine was so much worse, but they might not have as much heavy bleeding or some of these other things that made it very uh, difficult for me to uh, function. Um, but she basically told me if it hadn't happened now, it would have happened for you in the very near future with how it was. And I, that was... I cried so hard after hearing that because I felt so validated and I felt so close to my heavenly father because I knew that even when I didn't know, and even when the people most important to me in my life were questioning my decisions, he knew what was going to happen. And instead of me being in pain and all these other horrible symptoms for another year until it got bad enough that maybe, uh, something worse had happened. I came close to losing my life. Who knows um, that I made the decision when I did. Um, and so I just, I guess all of that, all of that long story to say that you know your body best and your relationship with God. I mean, your page is, you know, you have a Christian viewpoint on this, right? So it's your relationship with God and he can tell you so much he can and he might not do it in the timing or the way uh that you want i know for you you shared that there was a time where he told you to put it aside yeah right? he did he, he straight up was like just just put it aside i was like dude i've been struggling with this for like six years like i want answers and he said not right now <laughs> and that was so hard to hear but like i think that that's part a huge reason i wanted to have you on to the podcast and everything is because your story is so so unique um he said not everyone has it like no one has really even heard about like adenomyosis I certainly had that extent (laughs) and having it that severe um but also like getting those things that you don't necessarily want because like I I don't know how people can go through their health journey without 
God and like God's influence and hand guiding them through that. Because I know for me, like every single person I have been led to, or even sharing <laughs> through Psychoway and starting yes. this, like has all been because of God and because God mm-hmm. was like, hey, go see this person. I'm like, hey, maybe you should do that. And a lot of those things, I was like, do I really have to do that? <laughs> you know, like, are you sure? <laughs> you know, and it wasn't always pretty. And like that, but that has strengthened my faith, like in God and like so much because like you look at scripture, like very rarely is God like, oh yeah, you're going to do this and it's going to make your life better and you'll live happily ever after. Sometimes he's like, yeah, it's going to suck. <laughs> you know he's like yes. you're gonna get persecuted you're gonna read a lot of hard things like you're it's gonna get harder but like there are promised blessings at the end of it you know like that's really the moral of the story is you know even like in most extreme cases you know you've got like job but <laughs> yeah like, he kept staying you know he's like i don't know what the heck is going on anymore you know but, like he stayed faithful and like he like, kept trusting god he's like this has gotta be for a reason even though everything's gone to crap <laughs> and then yeah. some and like to look back now um and it's an ongoing thing right it's not like you had your surgery and like your your answer and like oh that's the end of it Ta-da. yeah <laughs> you know, like that no, might have been a huge breakthrough sure. but mm-hmm. it, it still continues to go on and but yeah like it's also important and and even like you mentioned too, like it's not like everyone who has this diagnosis should go out and get a hysterectomy no <laughs> like, no right? that's a last resort it is yeah but I think it's great, like, you did receive the answer from God, because, like, there is no greater witness, there's no greater test or answer that you can get than to have God guiding you in that, so. Mm -hmm. yeah, No, definitely, and that was, I think if I hadn't, if I had received my answer in any other way, um, because it was the answer I did not want if it hadn't been so clear. And I mean, in the middle of the night, woken up from a dead sleep with these thoughts and these answers, I knew, I was like, I knew this was from God. I couldn't deny it. Um, It's like, yeah, it just, and so that was really the thing that kept me going was I kept having these nudges. And then when it got down to it, God gave me what I needed and God will always give us what we need. Um, he gave me nudges throughout my life. For instance, um, I remember, uh, it, I, I don't know how much of this you want to include or not, cause it doesn't apply to everyone, but patriarchal blessings in our church, right? We, we get those and they kind of are a guide for our lives and help inform us about our lives and who we are. And in mine, it talked about the children that you bear the word bear. I was 13 when I received this blessing. And when I read that, I immediately, my mind immediately, I I don't even know how to describe it, but it immediately interpreted that as bear them up like emotionally and Mm -hmm. as mom. And I kind of turned to my mom when I was reading it and I said, I don't, this, I, I think this is what this means. And, and I, my mom being like, okay, you know, it's your, you know, it's your blessing. You interpret it how you want, but she goes, I, you know, that, that word can have different meanings. And as it is, you'd think when it talks about the children that you bear, typically that's talking about physically bear, but so there was that little tidbit. And then when I was 15, um, I remember having this thought, uh, when I heard about a woman's testimony at church about infertility that, yeah, you're going to have, you'll, you'll have infertility struggles. But it, it didn't tell me I would never have carry a child, but it did. It was like Heavenly Father was giving me little by little what I needed to then when he told me this was what needed to happen. I was prepared to receive 
that answer. And sometimes we might receive an answer and it might take us a while to wrap our heads around it. And that's fine too. I mean, God has patience with us and he'll work with us, but um, he really does give us what we need. And he knew far, far before I did what was going to happen to me and how my life was going to play out in that respect. And um, so, yeah, I don't know. Again, like you said, I don't know how people do it without him because I certainly, I'd probably still be uh, basically bedridden if not for that. I don't, I don't know that I would have had the courage to make that decision for myself. So. Yeah, totally. I'm, I'm curious um, as we kind of start to wrap things up a little bit, but yeah, there's still a couple more points I really want to hit. Um, like what is your journey with all of this, especially being like in such a unique position how what has it taught you about like womanhood and motherhood mm-hmm. yeah I I will say that it probably didn't hit me until I would say maybe like probably around when I got engaged and I really started to think about building a family with this person it started to hit me like I I can't I you know I can't get pregnant and Cause that's usually what you, you know, you start thinking about, you know, your future family and all these things. And that kind of really hit me and I don't really know how to describe it, but it made me really start to question like my womanhood and my divine identity and how I fit into that. Because I mean, you know, you hear the phrase, like, if you don't have a uterus, you can't talk about women's health issues. Oh, kind of. Yeah. Mm, I can see how that would really, really not work. <laughs> I was like, how is that, how, uh, does that like apply that, to That's me? the requirement? Yeah, I was like, I've lived these issues and I'm still living these issues because, and I should clarify, total hysterectomy means you remove your uterus and your cervix. Um, the, removing your ovaries and your fallopian tubes are two different surgeries. And I did have my fallopian tubes removed because at that point they don't really serve a purpose. It's actually kind of a risk um, for cancer at that point if you don't have a uterus. But my ovaries, they encouraged me to keep because it, the hormone production that I could continue mm-hmm. to reap from that as I'm so young. Um, and so anyway, all that to say, I, I really did start to go, Oh, like I, it, it just really started making me question. Cause I, I couldn't, when people started talking about baby names or when you'd see those surprise pregnancy reveals that are so cute mm-hmm. on social media or these different things, I started to go, I will never have that. And I can't, I can't even really join in these conversations because I don't, I don't even have a hope for that experience. You know, it was just, it left me in a really awkward place for a while, especially when I was engaged and people start giving you advice that you didn't ask for about marriage or about, uh, or when you're first married and people start saying, when are you going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? Not knowing anything about your situation, all of those things. So it really started to make me feel down. And I remember somebody at church on Mother's Day, talking about real mothers, um, those who have had children, that those are the only people we should be celebrating on Mother's Day. Um, and that was extremely difficult for me. I it, That one really hurt the way this person put it. It was somebody who in my congregation was relatively respected too. Um, and so it was, it was very difficult. Um, and later I did tell them exactly how I felt about that but that's a story for another time um anyway but it was basically what I realized is I don't have a uterus 
I don't have an ability to carry a child. Does that take away any of my other qualities? Any of my other, does that take away my ability to nurture? Does it take away my ability to influence? Does it take away my ability to teach? Does it take away my ability to, my intuition? I've always had a very strong sense of intuition. Mm. It doesn't change any of that, any of that stuff. It's an organ. It's a beautiful thing. It serves a beautiful purpose. Me not having one doesn't take away any of the qualities that I think are the, the essential, uh, the, the, really the core of divine identity, womanhood, those sorts of things. So I really had to, um, I still, I still struggle with thoughts, um, just of, of not being able to relate to people and not really sure how I fit in those conversations. And you don't really want to just tell someone like that you just meet like, Oh, well, actually, I don't, you know, I, I don't have a uterus. I can't have kids, you know? And when I say I can't have kids, if I do say that usually their reaction is, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, which is, I get it. But not really, I, you know, I don't, I felt sad about it for long enough. Let's, <laughs> let's, yeah. you know, and luckily I have some really great friends now um, around here that just are so supportive of my foster care journey and of adoption. And um, anyway, it, it's gotten better, but those conversations were really difficult to learn to navigate at first. And then, but it all starts with knowing me knowing that my womanhood and my divine identity as a woman and my intuition is uh, my God-given intuition really is not compromised because I had a hysterectomy. Um, so yeah, I guess to, that's, that's kind of my answer. Because <laughs> uh, it makes me think of too, um, you know, like in the family, a proclamation of the world, again, document that was put out by our church. Uh, I think it's like what night, night, late nineties. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I don't but know, it so. talks about how gender is a, an essential and eternal characteristic, mm -hmm. right? And it's not just predicated on having a uterus or not, yes, but exactly. that like that womanhood is innate and it's, yeah, I could totally see like the whole like no to uterus, no opinion, like, yeah, <laughs> especially considering, yeah. right? Like some more of like the statistics, statistics and everything behind women's health. The top surgeries performed in the U.S. are C-sections and hysterectomies, mm -hmm. which is so crazy to me like how yes. unbelievably common that is and mm. like like especially like hysterectomies it's crazy high yeah yeah it's like it's so we're still gonna say like no uterus no opinion with like that's so common it discounts <laughs> a lot of people. <laughs> exactly yeah. a lot of women especially yeah. um yeah. and it's it's really interesting with um like your story and there's a couple of questions like just to get some people more like nosy with it um oh, but understanding like how that affects like your cycle and your health because like you said you kept your ovaries right yes. um and it's really interesting because like there are like you have like the hormone center in your brain which makes a lot of hormones um but your ovaries make a lot of your like sex hormones so like estrogen mm -hmm. like um testosterone and uh progesterone like those are made like in your ovaries and everything and so yeah. like by keeping those like do you still have a cycle like do you still ovulate like how does that like and yeah. I mentioned PCOS too so I know that has a factor mm -hmm. in everything yeah and I honestly have been um researching more and kind of inspired by things that you posted as well about getting my PCOS to kind of 
go into remission, so to speak, is kind of my goal right now. That's kind of the thing I'm working on because I cannot afford to get rid of my ovaries at this age because um, the longer I can keep them, the longer I avoid going on any kind of hormonal therapy, um, which is the goal <laughs> to stay off of that uh, as long as possible. So uh, yes, I do have a cycle. It's at first I didn't even pay attention because I'm not bleeding, right? It's kind of your period bleed is kind of where you base everything around. So now that I don't- Yes, it's very obvious. And so, and I used to track it religiously because I was trying to figure out what the heck was going on with me. So I wasn't tracking for several months post-surgery, especially because I was on such a high. I was feeling so much better that I wasn't even noticing some of these symptoms. And then kind of once my life settled and I was more in tune with my my body on an everyday basis. Um, so yes, I have a cycle. I'm not totally sure. Uh, it, it seems to follow, like it's almost like I have... <laughs> It's almost like I have two shorter cycles a month. Like it's like that process happens so quickly and so quickly again. Uh, I don't, I don't really know how to describe it, but it's like that same kind of wave of emotions or different things that I go through the, the back pain, the lower back pain or whatever, these different things that I would get uh, kind of seem to come twice a month now. But all I know is I do ovulate because I continue to get ovarian cysts. I get those almost monthly, at least some small ones. And then um, I every probably three months, like clockwork, I get a pretty large one, not large enough, they'll surgically remove it um, large enough that I just have to deal with it till it it goes away. Um, So that's how when I start feeling the signs of a cyst, I know that I, I guess I've just ovulated, if that makes sense, because the cyst, the egg, it releases and it attaches to my my ovary. So that's kind of what I have to base it off. Now I have to be very in tune with my um, symptoms, basically, and what my body is trying to tell me the things that I am craving, how, what, you know, my sleep quality, all these different mm-hmm. things that kind of inform where I'm at. Um, and I still feel like I get um, all the symptoms, not all, I shouldn't say, but many of the symptoms I got during my period or the two days preceding my period, especially, um, I still have those, mm-hmm. but I don't have a bleed. So it's been really difficult to know exactly how to address all that. But I do feel like the root is um, addressing my PCOS, addressing those cysts. I think that that would um, help a lot to regulate everything. Yeah, that's another like huge reason. I'm I'm such an advocate for like understanding women's health because the number of stories that I've seen of women who with like severe endometriosis, um, like mm-hmm. severe cysts, um, or PCOS, like all those things that we think like, once you have a diagnosis, that's it. Like, yeah. I've seen so many women like pull that into remission and like pretty much get rid of it. Like you're still more susceptible to it, but like women that have PCOS to have like healthy, like normal, like great periods all the time. And like yeah. naturally all these things, um, like endometriosis, like having all of these issues with like that overgrowth and it coming back and like through emotional work, um, as well as like supporting like their physical body, like their hormones and everything, like it's gone. And like, it's yeah. so crazy to me that people think like, oh, like it's permanent, you know, almost. It doesn't have so, to be, right? Yeah, it doesn't have to be. And I know obviously like with your case of like your whole story of like that mm. like I think you're a little past the point of like maybe we should try supporting my hormones. <laughs> I think I'm still where I could heal it. Yeah. yeah. And like 
it, it just goes to show that really everything is so case by case. Obviously, it's gonna be like a pretty small percentage where like it gets that extreme. Mm-hmm. But for, for most women and most like conditions, like a variety of things, like there's so many things you can do to help relieve that and it might take some time and take, take some work and some education and some learning. But like, there are things you can do to help. So it's really interesting. Like I, I just from like a nerdy perspective, really interesting to even see like, like your temperature fluctuations too, to see like how that'll yeah. happen. Like, I don't I know. Really It'd be so interesting. <laughs> yeah. I think I definitely need to, to start that and, and some other things. It's really only been in the last few months that I've really started to go, okay, I need like, this is kind of a priority now. I can't just keep ignoring it because <laughs> it's getting pretty annoying. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not just for reproduction, but it's our whole overall health, right? <laughs> no, it definitely is, especially because for me, I mean, that's not even a concern, right? I don't, without a uterus, I don't have to worry about birth control. I'm not worried about when I'm getting pregnant, none of those things. And it's still, I mean, that's what, like, I can't even imagine. It, yeah, it still should speak to how important it is to regulate yourself, to heal all these different things. Because even without a uterus, I still find myself needing to do those things so it's really it's it's definitely important one more question that we had from the audience someone asked about like you know different treatment options for like adenomyosis so Mm -hmm. obviously most extreme cases like you said only way to get perfectly diagnosed is through post hysterectomy which is pretty extreme Mm -hmm. Uh, yes but with other treatment options you mentioned that facebook group and everything like what were some of the things you saw that helped those women yeah. Um, and, and again, I would say that if no, um, kind of woman's health issue is really fitting you really making sense with your symptoms, or you have found evidence of endometriosis, adenomyosis is definitely something you can look into. And I self-diagnosed before I was ever diagnosed. It's okay to self-diagnose and to know you won't get that official, um, diagnosis unless you, I mean that no medical professional will give you an official diagnosis without pathology, but if other things aren't fitting you and you look at the symptoms of adenomyosis and go, that sounds exactly like me, you, you might, you might have it, you know, and it's, it's more common, just like endometriosis. Now we know affects one in 10 women. And that's only the ones that have been diagnosed. Um, I think there's a lot more cases of adenomyosis out there than we're aware of, but that being said, in that group, a lot of it was really exactly what you share, which is you have to, um, and I think once you get into the groove, it doesn't feel like so much work, but you have to really put in the work to give your body all the support it needs. And you can't afford not to. I mean, a lot of people, I think in our society where we just go, go, go all the time, we're always drinking caffeine and we're always getting easy foods and all these different things, whatever it might be. We're not sleeping well. We're not doing, I mean, you can't afford to do that. You have, I had to recognize that quickly that yes, I totally understand there's individual circumstances. Maybe you have your job, you have children, whatever it might be. Um, but you have to make every effort to get enough sleep every night, to eat nourishing foods, to drink enough water, to cut down on caffeine. Well, all these, I mean, there's multiple things to take the time to rest, to really lay down, to use whatever. I mean, for me, heat was really nice. Other women actually found more with icing or, or different. Anyway, you need to take the time to learn a, what works for you and then take the time to do it. I can't tell you, I mean, 
even before my mission, when I was just during my period, I just knew, okay, no, I could push myself and go do this thing. But I know that what my body needs is to rest. So I told, I told people, no, you have to learn to say no, I think. And, and to, and to go, no, I need, I need to rest. I need to do this. I need to do that. Um, pelvic floor therapy was a big one. Um, I have only personally had one session and that was when I lived in New York and then we moved and, um, I actually am on the waiting list, I think, to get in with one here. Cause that's post hysterectomy, your pelvic floor can get really, um, I don't want to say messed up, but you don't have an organ there and things can kind of, you need to, you need to pelvic floor therapy is very recommended, but so it's recommended <laughs> prior and also after, but I would say, um, that was a huge one. I saw in the group a lot. Um, it wasn't really available where I lived at the time, but it's becoming more and more available. I'm seeing it more and more. Um, so that was one that helped a lot of women as well that I would highly recommend. Um, yeah. And just, I mean, paying attention to what your triggers are like caffeine might not be a trigger for some people. I recognize for me, it was a huge trigger for whatever reason. Um, I had a whole post on that too. Like for some people, like there's like a specific genetic like marker or some people like just depending on how you metabolize caffeine, it's the same thing that metabolizes estrogen and um estrogen is responsible for building up the uterine lining that endometrium and so like i know with people who have um endometriosis i don't know how much like that overlaps with like adenomyosis um Mm -hmm. but i i would wonder if estrogen has a huge factor there because i know it has a huge factor with endometriosis is like that inflammation response and then estrogen are like two really key things to look into so yeah. I'm curious if like focusing on those two things with like adenomyosis would be like a really good starting point too. Yeah. Because it's kind of similar in that sense, like especially with inflammation. Like you cannot go wrong with helping your body with inflammation, no matter no, what. <laughs> exactly. That's a huge part of it is it's inflamed. And so anything you can do, yeah, to lower inflammation. Um, yeah. I mean, my biggest things that even still I have to make a priority are sleep is a huge one. I have to get enough sleep. And I find so ever since if you have any kind of scar tissue, which I do, um, I even with the weather changes, I feel pain there. Like if rain's coming, I'll feel pain. So I have such extensive scar tissue. But um, it's, it's like if I get too emotionally distressed, that pain, not nearly what it was before, but it will it will manifest, I will start having pain. It manifests that way. So I really think that for me also working on my mental health and my emotional well-being is very important because that can trigger the, the, the issues already there. I didn't appreciate when the doctors wanted to write it off just as being because I had depression, but it certainly can make it worse if you're not where you need to be emotionally. So and spiritually and, um, all of that. And for another big one is that woman said, and I found this to be true for me at the time and still is for me, hard workouts or really explosive workouts were triggering mm-hmm. walking is the best. And I felt like I always saw that as like an older moms go walking <laughs> together thing. Like I felt like that I had to be at the gym and I had to be like, working out and using weights or doing whatever, which granted there's good things to all of those and find what works for you. But I found for me that lower impact 
not as heart rate raising exercises were way less triggering for me still gave me those positive endorphins you just keep up like a nice quick pace on your walk and I I can walk for forever without it triggering a lot of pain and still get those benefits of exercise and tons of women had the same experience that walking was like just so good and so all these things again it doesn't solve your problem but if you don't keep all of those things in line it will be worse and you may find as you keep adding in things and subtracting things that you think might be hurting you'll find your triggers and you'll find the things that are specifically making it worse for you and the things that make it better. So that was a big thing in the group was just encouraging each other. And, Oh, I tried this. And for me, I was really deficient in magnesium and iron and, but iron, even when I was taking iron, it, I was very low in the iron binding, um, whatever, whatever they, I, I didn't have enough iron binding, whatever it was. So even though I was taking in enough iron, it wasn't being utilized. It was just leaving my body. So by taking magnesium, it's helping to bind the iron and um, allowing the iron to actually do its job. So that's been a game changer for me. And when I got that hormone panel and that blood panel back, my doctor said, everything looks great. And then I looked into it and I'm like, but this is low and this is off and this is you know, it said like, what's everything- your definition of great. <laughs> yeah, <and> it's like <laughs> right. What phase your cycle is in when they do a hormone panel matters a lot. Like if you're oh, in your luteal phase or your menstrual phase or whatever. Well, all my things were listed as normal, but they were listed as normal for different phases. So like the system oh. didn't differentiate. So like this would be normal if I was in my luteal phase, but since I'm not, this is actually super off. I should not be producing this much or this little, you know, whatever. So really doing your own research, do not ever take your doctor's word for <laughs> word for it. Go look at it yourself. And I mean, that's just really helped just little changes. And that's really all you can do. A lot of the time is just add in one new thing and see if it helps and then try something else. And eventually you find the things that work for you. But I really think joining a support group or being able to, to speak with someone that has lived experience uh, is huge because it reminds you you're not crazy, you're not alone, and it gives you new ideas. So if anyone out there has, you know, thinks that they have adenomyosis or any anything similar, or just even any of those symptoms, I, I think it can be managed. It can get to the point where it can't be. And that's when you might have to make some hard decisions, but I think it definitely can be. And most people don't get to that point. Most women in my group that were getting hysterectomies because they had just gotten to where their bodies couldn't handle it anymore. were in their forties or fifties. And for me, it just happened to be a very severe case. So I want to say there's a lot of hope for a lot of people, even if they have, um, even if they have adenomyosis, that that's, that that doesn't have to be something that happens especially if they don't want it to. And it's, and it's not right for them. So anyway, I'm going off, but yeah. No, that's great. I think that's, it's, there's a lot of options. I think that's been a, some common themes I've noticed with having people on or just doing my own research is that one, you have options. It's not really like a one right way to do it. You know, like it's going to be food. Maybe it's changing your workouts. Maybe it's, you know, certain, you know, minerals that you're missing or need help with. Like, so many different options it's not like you have to do all of it you can just pick one and that's the second thing is experimenting like that came up has come up again and again with these interviews is just experimenting with what works for you um like whether that's period pain or pms or like you know as you know 
endomyosis, like whatever it is, just experimenting with options, experimenting with how your body responds. It might have the same, like similar symptoms, but like our bodies are different and like our environments are different, our like genetic predispositions, like all of those things are going to be different. So yeah, listen to your body. You cannot go wrong with that. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I agree. So at the close of all this, you know, you shared a lot about, you know, your story and um, like your challenges and the lessons you've learned along the way. Um, I'm sure many women are going to be really grateful to hear of your your strength and your faith and just like how you've grown through all of this. Um, was my last question for you. If you had one piece of advice, the women listening to this, what would you tell them? You've already given a lot of great advice. I know you? I've given a ton. Come on. Um, I guess if I had to say one thing and it sounds so cliche, but don't stop trying, don't give up because it's, it, it can, and it does get better. Um, and it's just so important to, to keep, you know, keep reminding yourself that, you know, your body, you're not crazy and keep talking to new people until you find those medical professionals, those people in your life that will really support you because they're out there. And, um, yeah, I guess I would just say just just do not give up. It will it does get better. It will get better and just keep going. Yeah. Maybe not how you expect, but it will. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it can go like this, but it can still like it's, you know, it's hopefully not going like this as you keep trying. You're still dipping down, but it's hopefully continuing to get better, I guess if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Well, thank you again for for coming on and I think everything you shared was just absolutely golden. So well, you are golden and I'm so grateful for what you're doing. And I'm very excited to listen to the other episodes of the podcast too. Oh, it's going to be so good. I wish I could release yeah. them all right now. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that would be awesome. But we'll all anxiously await it. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Psychoway podcast. I'm glad you could join in and I really hope this inspired and encouraged you with your own health journey. A couple last thoughts I wanted to add before we close up. Um, since recording this a couple months ago, I wanted to add three things to the end of this. So first thing is that if you have similar symptoms, whether that's endometriosis or adenomyosis, I would look into copper um, and seeing how your copper levels are. So that would test that through an HTMA, a hair tissue mineral analysis, because most of our minerals, like over 98% of our minerals are actually inside of our cells. So testing it in blood is not going to be very accurate. Um, an HTMA looks at the last three months and how it's actually getting into your cells and being used. So it's a lot more accurate of a test. Um, but when you have excess estrogen, um, copper and estrogen are like best friends. So one will increase the other. And that's a very common thing we see with endometriosis. Um, I'm not sure about adenomyosis, but I do know that like it sounds pretty similar with a lot of the symptoms and all of that. Um, so worth looking into, um, and just balancing your other hormones and, uh, balancing, I mean, your other min minerals, <laughs> if I could talk right, um, it's going to be really helpful too, um, just to see like how things are going because minerals are the foundation of good hormones. So speaking of hormones, trying to balance your hormones. Um, so estrogen dominance, um, is really common, especially with endometriosis too, because estrogen is what signals the body to build up the uterine lining. So when we have too much of that or it's maybe not growing the right way, um, we would definitely want to look into estrogen. So um, the last thing I'd say is lowering inflammation. So increasing your omega-3s, decreasing omega-6s, um, whether you have just got period cramps or you have like 
an inflammatory issue like endometriosis um, or adenomyosis. There's a lot of inflammation, not just within the uterus, but all surrounding that area. Um, so yeah, definitely doing things to help with that, managing stress, balancing your blood sugar. There's a lot of different ways to do all of these things, um, but there, those are a couple places I would get started. And if you have questions, I'm happy to chat all about it. <laughs> so why I started a podcast too is to get all of the information out there and I'm sure I will talk more about these things in the future. So yeah, if you've enjoyed this episode and the podcast so far, please leave a review sharing your thoughts and takeaways. I'd love to hear what you think. Um, I'd also love to invite you to follow me on here, connect with me on Instagram and Facebook at cycleway.workshop um, and make sure to sign up for email updates on our website. The link is below um, for an early sneak peek of our next episode and some really exciting announcements I have coming soon in the next couple of weeks. So yeah, I hope you have a wonderful day today and I will see you next time. Happy periods, my friend.